Good morning. A number of our people are out of town. A number of our people are ill this morning, but you are here, and we are here for one important purpose. We're going to open our Bibles and get right to the task at hand, turning back now to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. If you were not with us Wednesday night, that class presentation was recorded and it can be found on our website, lhmacallen.org. This morning, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18, after prayer. Heavenly Father, we express to Thee our praise with thanksgiving for all we have, especially all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ who died for us, who loves us, and who promises to come for us someday. May the time we spend in thy word today enrich us and motivate us to better serve thee. In his name we pray, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to begin by reading verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Everything here must be put into the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I want to begin by supplying some context, and I'll be doing this in every class, at least on some occasions, very briefly to give context to what we're talking about. Ecclesiastes might be called a monologue about what life is really about. A monologue about what life is really about. It's not in the format of a logical outline. It is written in the manner of Hebrew poetic literature. And so for a Western reader, it seems to be disorganized and scattered. But this was the way of literature in that day. King Solomon, probably later in life, realized that life under the sun is not where real satisfaction is found or complete answers are discovered or permanent good is embraced. If you desire a good life here that prepares you for death, the answer is not under the sun. 
and you can delve into knowledge and wisdom and you can explore madness and folly. But if you're limited to what's under the sun, you will not find the complete answer. And what you will find is a striving after the wind. So he takes his readers on a journey. And one resource I consulted years ago said this is sort of like a slideshow. You remember when 35 millimeter slides came into vogue many years ago, people would go to the Grand Canyon or New York City and they'd come back and much to the consternation of their family and friends, they'd have them over to the house and they would show 741 slides of the Grand Canyon. And they would say, isn't this, this is where I've been. We went here, we stopped here and had coffee and all that. And someone years ago writing about Ecclesiastes compared the book to a slideshow after a vacation where you say, look at this, and I was here, and I was there, and I did this, and here's what I discovered. And at the end of the slideshow, you confess to your friends, even after they've been there an hour and a half, you say, well, it just wasn't all that great. We didn't find any complete answers about life or anything. We just sort of had a good time. Well, Solomon says to his readers, here's what I saw and here's what I did and here's what I thought about and here's what I discovered about life under the sun. And the answer to life is not under the sun. That's where he's going to take us. That's the conclusion he's moving toward. His conclusion is if life under the sun is all we have, that's like trying to catch wind. It's like vanity, not just vanity, but vanity of vanity. Solomon's going to take us to a conclusion at the end of the book. What we need while we live here under the sun is a good relationship with the maker of the sun. God is the maker of the sun. Solomon says at the end of the book, what you need to do is fear God and keep his commandments. He doesn't get there to the end of the book, but that's where he's headed. I have said in uh, previous classes, perhaps in a very recent one, that there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God and Christ and our reverent and obedient response to deity, to God and Christ, according to what the Holy Spirit has said. That's the answer. Now, this paragraph. The author says to his readers, here's what I did. Here's what I set out to do in writing this book. And it was an unhappy business. It was a very difficult task. It brought with it all kinds of stress and tension for me. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18 is sort of like what we call a prologue, something you write at the beginning of a literary work. The writer's telling us, here's my perspective, here's what I set out to do. It's like a preface or the front matter in a book. Verse 12 is his identification of himself and his circumstance in life. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Uh, this kind of statement was typical in ancient Near Eastern poetic literature. At the beginning of a wisdom monologue where you talk about philosophy and what life is all about, the writer might say something like this. Uh, he might say, if I can paraphrase, I'm an old man now. 
I've had these experiences. I've thought about life under the sun. And I now ask for your attention because I'm going to describe to you this journey I took in my mind and in my life. And I'm going to take you to a conclusion. That's sort of what he's doing here. He is speaking autobiographically in part here. And he's describing his personal experiences to tell us what he discovered. And he's not really going to give us the final answer till he gets to the end of the book. Note here in verse 12, direct evidence about who this is. King over Israel in Jerusalem. Now that fits Solomon. Especially when you factor into it the lifestyle that he's going to describe in chapter 2. When he talks about, if I may shorten it and abbreviate it, wine, women, and song. When he talks about the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. It all fits Solomon as the writer of the book. Now, here in this verse, in the English Standard Version, it says he calls himself the preacher. Same in the New King James. If you have the NIV, it's going to say the teacher. A preacher or teacher provides instruction combined with motivation for life. A preacher or teacher provides instruction and attached to it motivation to use that instruction for your life. Solomon's functioning that way. Uh, he's not functioning here as a historian or a songwriter or an entertainer or a debater. He comes to his assembled listeners or in this case, in our case, his readers with instruction about life and attached to it is motivation to use that instruction while you're here under the sun so that when life under the sun is finished you have somewhere good to go he says and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven that's the equivalent of under the sun it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Let's not quickly pass over this expression. I applied my heart. If you have the NIV, the expression is, I devoted myself. If you have the New King James, it is, I set my heart. Solomon did not consider giving this information to us. Solomon did not consider this to be just a job. It wasn't like a man who reluctantly at the last minute on Monday morning clocks in, logs in, puts his time in, and can't wait until five o'clock, the rush to the parking lot, and get out of there. That's not the mode of Solomon in writing Ecclesiastes. He had a heart for this work. He focused his mind on this literary work. He disciplined his heart to think through his own experiences and then to express it well. It's called later in the book a well-driven nail. 
Now that's what a faithful preacher does. It's not just a job. It requires personal devotion and discipline and thought about what people need and what God has given to meet those needs. All governed by God's will and directed to the needs of people, Solomon put his very heart to the task. And he says that his quest was comprehensive. Look at the phrase, to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So if you consider all that is done under heaven, Solomon's task was not, I'm going to take this little part of it and see what I discover. Or I'm going to take this little portion of it over here and write about that. He wanted to be comprehensive. He said to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. He didn't want to leave anything out about life under the sun. The words seek and search and all and heart show that this preacher, this writer, wanted to leave nothing relevant neglected. Do you see? He took this seriously. This was a serious, intense effort to think through what life under the sun is about and to be fair and clear and diligent and conclusive. He's going to lead people to his final conclusion about fearing God and keeping his commandments. He's in the early stages now. But watch this carefully in verse 13. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The pronoun it refers to his quest, his work as a thinker and writer and servant of God guided by the Holy Spirit to get this book into the hands of readers. I want us to consider that work you do that is good and right and valuable that you're serious about can at certain places be unhappy work. It can rob you of some joy. It can create some stress. I believe this part of verse 13 is telling us this was not a work of complete joy for Solomon. As he thought about all these things under the sun and what people do under the sun and how people's lives are misguided, it was not uh, a walk in the park was not a picnic for Solomon to do this. He had to witness vanity. He had to confess his own vanity. He had to look at all the various dimensions of men seeking fulfillment without God. He had to think about people who live their lives absent God. And it was an unhappy business. Being a preacher, teacher, or writer about such matters. Though it is a work you undertake seriously and sincerely can nevertheless be emotionally challenging. There can be some very sad times and some stress involved. Uh, When you see how people ruin their lives and you have to write about it and talk to people about it and apply the Bible to it. Uh, When you use scripture to comment on the futility of sin It's hurtful. It is not a pleasant task. Solomon wanted to know and study various behaviors that were not pleasant to consider, but he had to write about. 
behaviors and vain lifestyles that he had participated in foolishly and he had celebrated earlier in his life. And now he looks at others going down that same futile pathway, trying to catch wind, striving after the wind, vanity of vanities. And he says, it just wasn't all that great to do this work. It was an unhappy task that he had. But God has given the task to some of the children of men to wake people up, to help people understand and learn and change. When we, as Christians, do the very best we are able to do to help people see where they are headed, to expose their sin, the false doctrine, the consuming materialism, it's an unhappy business. It is an unhappy business. Solomon came to a place where he recognized that clearly and wrote about it. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. Ecclesiastes 1, 12 and 13 your questions, your comments. Right. That, that's right. Take it seriously. It is not just like the man I described earlier who clocks in on Monday morning and can't wait till 5 o'clock. You do it because it's about life and it's about what's going to happen to you and others when this life is over. And there's not anything left under the sun. Verse 14, there is one of many thematic statements, something like a thesis statement. You remember when you wrote papers in high school and college and they would want a thesis statement, one sentence that captures what you're getting ready to write. This is like that. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after the wind. You remember last Sunday I had something to say to us about the phrase, under the sun. When you see that phrase, Solomon's talking about life here on earth. Just the phrase, under the sun, here in Ecclesiastes, commonly means life here on earth. And in many contexts, it means life here on earth without the creator of the earth, without the maker of the sun. Just what's here. And what are you going to get out of just what's here if you leave out who made it? That's the context. Solomon is saying, I've looked at the way people live here on the earth. And what I see is vanity, futility, a striving after the wind. It leads us to say this that we've said before in Ecclesiastes and we'll say again. When God is not in your life, it is like chasing something you never catch, but you keep trying. You can write that down. Because it will come up again and again in Ecclesiastes. When God is not in your life here under the sun, it is like chasing something you can never catch, but you keep trying to catch it. Life on earth without God is described with many different phrases in Ecclesiastes, striving in vain, looking for meaning where none can be found, chasing after but unable to catch wind. 
moving in one direction and then another, but without a real destination. Getting excited about something that the world has to offer and then at the end saying, well, it wasn't that great. Think of all the images that we might use today if we were describing futility. <clears throat> Some of the jokes that are made about trying to describe something you can't have or can't do. Um, I remember a few years ago hearing the expression fried snowballs or herding cats is another one of those. The point of such imagery is to convey and punctuate the idea of something that can't be done. You can't find ultimate fulfillment and the complete answer to how you ought to live your life if you're limited to what's under the sun. You've got to rely on the maker of the sun. It is futile to try to figure out the meaning of life and conduct yourself with good ultimate purpose if you leave God out. When God is not in your life, it's like chasing something you will never catch. You see this? Seems very clear. Verse 15, Solomon turns all this into one of the many proverbs in Ecclesiastes. Something about Hebrew poetic literature, it will combine forms. So there will be poetic type literature and then at another place there will be proverbs and then there will be something that looks like a brief essay and there will be didactic teaching that is instruction. Here is a proverb, one of many proverbs you'll find in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. <clears throat> now I'm convinced this proverb is a universal truth about man's existence here on earth. People without God in their lives may not recognize this. Perhaps some of us who want to have God in our lives to some extent have neglected or forgotten this simple reality. Life on earth is not a place where you can fix everything. Sin changed everything. You remember last Sunday morning I talked to us about the fact that Solomon describes not the world in Genesis 2, the paradise garden. Solomon describes the world that started in Genesis 3 with sin entering the world. Sin changed everything. So whether God is in your life or not, we live in a fallen world. There are consequences of sin all around us. We are post-Genesis 3. And in this existence under the sun, some things cannot be fixed. If you go into life under the sun thinking every problem can be solved and everything can be fixed and every question can be answered... You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. If you try to get fulfillment from life here on earth, there will always be things you cannot fix. I don't like that, do you? But that's reality. There'll be problems you cannot solve. There'll be questions you cannot answer. You're not going to get to the bottom of everything. Because we are in a world that is post-Genesis 3. 
Utopian promises are nowhere more directly denied than right here in Ecclesiastes 1.15. If a humanist tells you man will eventually create a perfect world here with all of his great technology, science is the answer, everything will be solved, there will be no problems in this futuristic world. And then if some preacher comes to town... And he gathers up a big bunch of people and he says, if you'll be born again and contribute to my ministry, then you're going to have a life that will just have no problems. You won't be sick anymore. You won't have any debt or any financial problems. Solomon says, we can't fix everything. We live in a fallen world. Through Jesus Christ, we can be saved from this world and taken to heaven but right now, under the sun, we live in a fallen world. This truth Solomon saw, and we need to admit it. Some of our earthly circumstances we cannot change no matter how hard we try. All our knowledge and technology and experience, even when well applied, cannot fix everything. We cannot account for everything, cannot fix everything cannot bend everything in the direction that we want. Some things here on earth, humans cannot do anything about. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. But this is the truth. Some things here on earth, humans can't do anything about. What you can do is what Solomon will recommend at the end of the book. You can fear God and keep his commandments. I can do that, you can do that, so that when life under the sun is over, we have a place we can occupy with the Creator that is absolutely and eternally perfect. Your comments before we go further. John Ortberg wrote about this one time in the book called The Storms of Life. And he said, when I grew up, I had the general idea that anything wrong that might happen to men would be fixable. If I lost something, I, I could find it or replace it. If I failed at something, my parents could set things right. But I have been in a few storms since then. I have learned that I was badly mistaken about this illusion of getting through life untouched. I look now at my family, my children, and wonder what will happen in the lives of my little house before they're through. And I'm glad I don't know. It's enough to know that there will be storms and through those storms I can fear God and keep His commandments. That's what we need to know. And there'll be perfect peace someday with God. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of knowledge and wisdom uh, in the case of Solomon this was not just ordinary boasting or self-elevated esteem you may remember from your previous Bible reading and study from first uh, Kings 3 and other places that Solomon asked God for wisdom and received it abundantly no dummy the Bible record is Solomon knew a lot. 1 Kings 4, 30-33 says that he knew 3,000 proverbs. 
How many Proverbs do you know? And it says he knew 1,005 songs. 1 Kings 4.33 says that Solomon knew a lot about trees and animals and birds and creeping things and fish. His wisdom was attested even among non-Jews like the Queen of Sheba who said, load up, let's go see Solomon and find out what he knows. But for all this wisdom, Solomon fell short in personal application. And we know and we review that here in the book of Ecclesiastes. When he applied himself and became mature in his real life choices and reflected back, here's what he realized. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon at some point, it might be said, stepped back and took a more serious look at life on earth and how smart he was. And his conclusion is the same. Life under the sun without God is vanity. Look at that word in verse 17, madness. This has a connotation of a boastful arrogance that sets one against God and the Creator. Just being mad. To receive life from the Creator, to live in the habitation that He made for you on the earth and then keep Him away. And be mad at Him and set yourself against Him and try to find value in life in what He made without the Maker. That's madness. Solomon came to a place where he realized that. One definition I found of madness, the noisy, selfish, rebellious life that is always rushing to the next party to see if it's better than the ones before. Do you know people that, like that? Live that way? The noisy, selfish, rebellious life that's always rushing to the next party to see if it's better than the ones before. And in many cases, they try to do it in one night and wind up dead drunk the next morning. Madness. Even some of the great historians have come very near to this conclusion. Arnold Toynbee said, The increase in our knowledge <clears throat> has not brought with it an understanding of the nature and purpose of life. You can be smart, but dead wrong in the way you live your life. You can have a good mind, but a ruined soul because of your bad choices. The more our knowledge grows, the more despondent modern society seems to be. Smarter is not always better. We are busy, but not busy with the right things. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The most valuable way to live, therefore, is what Solomon is going to affirm at the end of the book. Fear God and keep his commandments. Takeaways, but before that, questions or comments about what we've studied. Takeaways. I have eaten into a little bit of my takeaway time, so let me please get to that. <clears throat> Our clever attempts to make life meaningful without God are ultimately futile and laughable. 
militant atheists can sometimes be extremely boastful about how great their lives are. Without all the religious and moral obligations and having to pray and read the Bible and go to services and do things that are correct, atheists like to boast about all that, how happy they are without all that baggage. And there are young people who find their claims credible and attractive and seductive. Life that has no religious obligation, that has no moral restraint, don't have to go anywhere, do anything, pray about anything. What I would like to do is take the young people who find atheism attractive to the atheist funeral and see what is said. There's no talk of hope. There's no reference of passing into bliss. There's no clear view of anything ahead. It's just over. The end. Striving after wind. <clears throat> it might be argued that sometimes about some things you have to feel good before you can, I mean you have to feel bad before you can feel good. One purpose of Ecclesiastes is to help people see the vanity of life on earth without God to drive them to God. Like saying to somebody, look at what this is, really, without God here under the sun. Look at this disaster and this misery and this ruin. Sometimes what you have to do, you have to feel bad about life before you can move to the place where you feel good about it. Sometimes you have to feel bad about it before you can feel good about it. And there's only one way to feel good about it. And that's to respond to Jesus Christ and be a servant of God. And embody in your life the goodness and holiness that God imparts through his son. Number three. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. <clears throat> you wouldn't ordinarily think of any parallel between Jeremiah and Ecclesiastes. Until you stop and think about Solomon saying this was an unhappy business. It was stressful and hard for Solomon to do this. Jeremiah was stressed out, and Jeremiah saw some of the same things Solomon wrote about. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord." who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Remember what I said in an earlier class, you can be smart but still fail to engage in what life is all about and be ready to leave life. Wise men, Jeremiah says, boast in their wisdom, Wealthy men, Jeremiah says, boast about their riches. Then Jeremiah says, here's where, here's where life is found. 
Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows the Lord. This is where I take us to Solomon's conclusion. If I were studying Ecclesiastes with somebody who had never read the Bible, didn't have any Bible knowledge, you know what I would probably do? I would probably not hand them the entire book because sometimes when you hand somebody an entire book, what do they do? They go to the back of it to see where it's all headed. I would hand them a chapter at a time and I'd promise them that it's going somewhere. And then I would eventually hand them almost all of chapter 12 and we'd study that down through verse 12. And then finally, at the end of the study with this non-believer, non-Bible student, I'd say, okay, here it is. Here's what we've been waiting for. The end of the matter. All has been said. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or bad. That's where Solomon is headed. And I hope that describes exactly how we are living our lives. And if not, in the course of this study, we will form in our hearts a very solid commitment to not try to get what's under the sun into our heads and our lives and our activities. That's like a striving after when. But give ourselves wholly to the maker of the Son. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's our study for today. We will get into chapter 2 Wednesday night. Thank you very much.